Hello, and welcome to Sobercast. We provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in a podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting Sobercast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Also, if you're a member of NA or have friends that are, please tell them about our other podcast, NAPOD. NAPOD features NA speakers and workshops in the same format as Sobercast. We upload a new speaker every day, and it's easy to subscribe by searching for NAPOD, N-A-P-O-D, all one word, on any podcast player app, or go to NAPOD.XYZ if you'd like to listen online. Hope you enjoy the podcast and have a great day. Wow. Hello. <laughs> Hope I can see this. Is there a light around her? And, and the idea if I can talk into this thing. I don't know why, but, yo, know, that's nice. That sounds okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> now, my name is Nell Wing, and um, I have no years of sobriety. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm a Gemini. <laughs> this was at, the reason that I, I, I'm doing this is because at noon, having lunch over to the uh, hotel, uh, the girl who was serving, I was, as usual, I, I tell everybody who I am, or I mean, not, not that anybody knows that or cares about it, um, <clears throat> but I tell her that where I've been working and whatnot, and she said her name was, uh, forgotten what it was, but um, uh, she uh, she says, hi. Hello, glad to say hello. My name is so and so, and I'm an Aries. So I said, "Good, I'll tell them I'm a Gemini." <laughs> so it's completely beautiful to be here, and I'm so delighted to finally, finally get here. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, we've had some winter up there—17 big storms—and uh, the one on February the 11th was a very big one. And turned, and all day long, yes, maybe I was going, no, maybe I wasn't, and it went back and forth for so long, till finally we got the, the, uh, um, uh, where, who did the setup of the tape, whatnot. Oh, Rusty, it's Rusty over there. Hi, <laughs> Rusty. Um, and so that really, uh, by that time, I was nervous, I was, uh, kind of exhausted, and so I haven't any idea whether it sounded, whatever it sounded. Anyway, I kept jabbering on and on and on. And I haven't any idea whether I'm going to repeat today or not, but uh, whatever it is. What I do want to um, uh, talk about, if I may, uh, rather than go uh, day by day and what happened, would be here all day if I did that, I'd like to talk about some of the turning points because what made this fellowship survive so beautifully as it did and uh, so I'd like to go into that and read some of the historic information and whatnot. You know, it's said that life is a matter of uh, forgetting and uh, having and memorizing. And um, it certainly is very true. And the, what happens in the middle of it is a, is the fact that you're telling whatnot. And I find that so true because when I am able to share history, events, people, um, uh, what happened, uh, I can I can retain the memory of it, but boy, give me a month that I don't mem I don't say anything about them, and then I forget who's who, who is what, and uh, what is what. And uh, so I do re- I do think that that whoever said this is certainly on the ball that 
life is a matter of between memorizing and forgetting. But so what? I mean, that uh, that's life, and uh, we all, as we get older, come to those realizations anyway, and try to do something about it. <laughs> it's hard to believe <clears throat> that AA is almost 60 years old. I came when AA was not quite 12 years old to the office. It's called the Alcoholic Foundation, and um, we had about um, 13 employees, including Bill, who came down once a week, as he always did to the day he died, literally. And um, we had um, events that occurred that became so uh, so memorable that I'd just like to take uh, the every five years or ten years and tell and just kind of review what was important about this fellowship in those uh, important years and those in happening. For example, of course, we all know that the most important date we could have at the beginning was the meeting of Ebby and Bill. Ebby carrying the message of what happened. Ebby was a very, lots of people say, gee, what about Ebby? I've never heard about him very much. And this guy performed an enormous amount of good to this fellowship, as we all know. I don't, I don't have to tell you that. Uh, Ebby was from a very, um, educated family. His, uh, one of his member, family members was the mayor of Albany. Uh, another was a local judge around the area. He was a very, a very updated, a very intelligent and uh, knowledgeable person and went to school, as you know, with Bill in the early days and then, of course, got into alcoholism and uh, then formed an alliance, so to speak, with Ronald Hazard and uh, Sebra Graves, two of the early, those, these three guys were drinking a lot in those times. Sebra uh, went to uh, Paris and married a French lady and uh, went in... Uh, stayed sober from then on, and um, and Shep Cornell was another person, and I don't know whether Shep is still with us or not. He was down in Virginia. but um, So there were some very important people who had an influence on Abby, and um, when he heard that his old pal, Bill Wilson, had a problem, uh, he made it a point that he would go and talk with him and tell him what he had learned from the Oxford groups that he was associated with at that time, and he did that. And as you will know, I don't have to tell you the story. You know that he did, and that Bill was impressed, and uh, that was an that was the meeting on his uh, sobriety. So if that wasn't a turning point, gee, I don't know what is. And uh, then, of course, meeting Dr. Bob was, and uh, you could go on for hours about the meeting that do- and meeting Dr. Bob. I only saw him from the back. I never I never met him. Uh, I, it, <laughs> he he would come uh, east. Uh, and go to uh, Vermont, where his original St. Johnsbury, where his original home was, and he'd always stop off at Stepping Stones and say hello to Bill, and if Ann came with him, then they would both do that. And um, so that happened, went on for, for a few years, and then one of the um, um, September uh, um, uh, fall meetings of the uh, banquet, they had the, a New York banquet, which was in, uh, honoring Bill's birthday, and Abby sometimes came to that, and um, uh, uh, or, and doc, or Dr. Bob, I'm sorry, getting back to him for a bit, and uh, so... One, I was receptionist when I first got there. I had a temporary job, uh, which lasted 36 years. <laughs> I was on my way to Mexico to be a sculptress, uh, for which I had some talent. <laughs> um, at that point, 
So um, Bob, uh, Bob Smith was on his way to Vermont during that particular F, uh, event, and he stopped in the office, and everybody said, I had gone to the bathroom, I guess, and left the desk, and um, came back, and some people said, there goes Dr. Bob. I said, where, where, where? And so I saw him, this tall, hunched-over guy a little bit. That's the only way I remember Dr. Bob, unfortunately. I'm sorry. I wish I could. I wish I had a good picture of him, but I don't. Um, but Dr. Bob and Bill, that relationship between those two extraordinary men, and I mean to say that there is no higher power, a higher power who must have a lot of angels up there with crooked halos, straightening this, help, helping this fellowship, especially through the unity, disunity of the 40s. <laughs> um, those are very meaningful, meaningful things. Thank you, higher power. <laughs> For all of us, and um, but that was about what um, uh, what it was. But there was um, what was I talking? See, this is what I do. I don't follow my notes, and I go on talking and talking and talking. But <laughs> we were talking. But I think I was trying to say about Bob and Bill, and um, to it would take a long time to tell you their wonderful, wonderful relationship. Bill was exciting. And wanted to get things done. He had vision. He had a lot of vision. And I'll talk about, m- m- more about Bill and Lois later. But Bill was setting goals ahead and setting the time when they could be taken care of. And AA could benefit by what it was. But he had a sure, sure vision. Bob, on the contrary, was more cautious. He was a doctor more cautious about making mistakes or putting things into effect that might be right or not. And so, but the thing about Bob, he was enormously loyal to Bill. And then, of course, we had the setup. They had the Rockefeller, and I could talk a long time about the Rockefeller people. Those dear, they were so, so interesting, so interesting. Um, they, uh, two of them at least, always attended the spook sessions at stepping stone um, in the spook room. Um, this Bill was very psychic, and he liked uh, he liked uh, to uh, uh, or say or when we talked, when they talked about, had their meditation and then talked uh, over what had occurred. And Willard Richardson was there a lot, and Frank Amos. He was very psychic, very interested in psychic. And um, <clears throat> Frank and his wife Mary moved out to Chesterton, Chesterton in the later years, and where Frank died out there, and Mary continued. Chesterton was where a lot of the uh, uh, yearly get-togethers of uh, psychics took place. And uh, so, but and then uh, dear dear Chipman Chippy, we called him, uh, who was a little little fellow with twinkly eyes, and he would go running around. He was a treasure of the foundation uh, board of trustees for a long time. And great, these people were enormously devoted to this fellowship. Uh, Chippy worked in the office for a while, too, to help us out because we needed a good um, uh, person to guide the uh, financial uh, situations. And um, a lot of them, of course, have long passed away from us by now, but they were, they, and Mr. Rockefeller himself was a terrific person and interested in AA, and Nelson Rockefeller, too. So they had a great influence on the way that things proceeded during that 35 to 40 period. And then, of course, the book was written. Bill started the book in 38 and got written, and the steps were written, and 
in uh, December of 38. The book was published in April of, of uh, 40, as we, uh, 39, as we know. And so there were a lot of very important, the board of trustees was also formed at that point. So 40 was a very a nice uh, active period. But then come 40, and there was a lot of things that happened in 1940. And uh, settled things got settled a little bit, and uh, there was the money, and you could uh, contributions could be made that we hadn't quite gotten into the traditions yet, which was in the middle of the 40s. And so things were proceeding, <coughs> pardon me, very rapidly in 40. And I was, what I'm looking for is some of the. I thought I put down some of the number. Oh, two. Oh, at the Rockefeller dinner, there was two thousand dollars. Uh, raised from the guests, and a, th- a thousand came from Mr. Rockefeller, so that wasn't too bad. As a matter of fact, uh, Mr. Rockefeller gave the uh, fellowship, um, the office, that is, um, the right, the, the opportunity to uh, solicit the dinner guests, and uh, which we did until 45, when we the uh, self-support tradition really took effect. wasn't truly matched out until 49, it really, because there was a, oh, a big, I won't go into that whole business of Marty Mann and the NCA and Bill's and, and Bob's <laughs> endorsement of Marty. Oh, all hell broke loose all over the place. It was <laughs> one of those things. It truly was. But it's experience. It's told experience. It gave Bill and Bob experience. Of course, Bob died in the end of, uh, end of 50. But it gave, uh, uh, Set what you can do, what you should do, uh, and what not to do in the in circumstances of paying attention to what the traditions have now been saying. The short form of the traditions was written in '49 and passed, of course, by the uh, uh, general, uh, the um, uh, um, international first international uh, meeting in 1950. So a lot of things were going on. The large lots of movement was taking place. A lot of it was. Um, kind of hamstrung along the way a bit, but things got moving. The large groups, largest groups in the unite in the US were in Washington DC, Philadelphia, Chicago, Richmond, Virginia, Houston, Detroit, Chicago, uh, Los Angeles, Cleveland, Akron, New York City, of course. Ten areas altogether. So things were proceeding very nicely. Now at the end of the year, there were 1,500 members. This is the end of 1940. And 30 groups were registered. Now, what I'd like to do is read you that first bulletin um, that was put out from the office by um, uh, Ruth Hutt, who was the first sec- non-alcoholic secretary. Wonderful lady, wonderful, wonderful lady. And uh, I had spoken to her several times uh, over the over the years. This first bulletin, I think, is very interesting, and I'd like to read it. And it later became, I did started to do the bulletins in 66 to 72, and uh, there were many, many changes and many uh, ways of doing things all through those years. But this is the first one. The Alcoholic Foundation, uh, the AA Bulletin, November 1940. And number one, it says, it says, we wish to thank our many friends and um, our... Um, can't read this, uh, and many um, correspondents, uh, many friends and correspondents all over the country for their cooperation in keeping the national headquarters informed of development um, in the various groups. It is through such a central exchange that vital information and contact 
uh, and contact points uh, can be brought to the attention of those who seek the solution to the alcoholism uh, which meant so much to all of us. This bulletin is an effort to develop a mutual idea exchange about the about to establish a closer feeling of friendship this is better, between the AA groups from the East Coast to the West. And so we hope it will prevent the secession from the AA ranks of our San Francisco group <laughs> who threaten to call themselves dipsomaniac incognito. <laughs> <laughs> unless they heard from us more frequently. <laughs> a bulletin has... Oh, thank you. I need that. <laughs> Thanks. Um, okay. A bulletin has been contemplated for some time, but delayed due to a lack of sufficient personnel and office facilities. They're very true. Uh, we now have at least this equipment and hope to be able to make this bulletin a periodic spree in quotation non-alcoholic. <laughs> she tried to be a little funny then. This office <laughs> has in the past year handed over 2,000 inquiries um, covering each, answering each by personal letter. In addition, correspondence uh, is a, 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 a is acquainted, is a maintained, I can't read, with about 50 centers where AA work is ex 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 operational, <laughs> varying from the solitary efforts of single isolated AA members to groups of 150. In view of the fact that in April 1939 there were only about 100 AA members and the fact that there is now a total of approaching of about 1,400 for our, your efforts and, 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 and ours have been exceptionally worthwhile. Continued AA activity will mean a great deal, but only to each of us as individuals, but each to the many who are still answered, are still answered, unsure of the fact that there is an answer to the alcoholic problem which is practicable on a large scale. Our correspondence reaches not only the four corners of the U.S. Now, in a very short while, it had been four corners of Canada, too, but also touches Alaska, Africa, England, France, and Australia. Now, we're talking about 1940, which I think is unusual. Although nothing of consequence has developed as yet in these distant places, nevertheless, it is indicative of the widespread interest in Alcoholics Anonymous, of the far-reaching results already obtained, and the um, possibilities for the future. We all know that the AA solution readily works if, if really works if followed with patience, honesty, and sincerity, as we sympathize with the uh, new prospect who said who said he certainly did want to stop drinking, but after listening a few minutes to the AA story, said, oh, that, I tried it four, two weeks ago and it doesn't work. Now, at the also, at, in 1944, an event happened that I love. 
and, and just, I could talk for hours, hours about the grapevine. Because it's a very important instrument to carrying our message. I have for years, since I've been to that office, 47, I have thought, my gosh, why don't we make more of this grapevine? It carries a message, every single issue, in every way. I mean, event after event after event is taking place. The grapevine has it all. Anything you want to know, when did this happen, when did that happen, read the grapevine out from the grapevine. It really is fantastic. Now, as you probably know, in, night, in June, a new, heavier, bigger issue is coming out, the 50th anniversary of, of uh, the grapevine. And I'm looking forward to it anyway. But the grapevine, um, uh, what time is it? Am I getting too slow here? Mm. Um, I want to get on to more things. Anyway, um, also in 19, I won't read it because this, uh, I have a little, and if you can make a copy of this if you like, the, the grapevine history, how it began and how it proceeded. Um, if I'm having trouble reading anyway. My eyes, as you can see, are, are practically cross, crisscrossing all over the place. Um, that's the cataract operation. Uh, the grapevine. Now, I think this is very interesting. This is the epic gathering of the 10th anniversary, and that is super. It contains a lot of, of talk, part of talks that Bill and Dr. Bob, of course, were both there, that they gave. It's a very interesting uh, piece of information, and if anybody wants to make a copy of these, please, your, I, I would obtain uh, it from Ames. He said, okay, to make copies. But it, a lot of history is in this, in this, 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 this one is two pages. And I, as you can see, I've outlined the whole thing. <laughs> because I was going to read it, and I said, oh no, I'll, I'll never stand for that. Uh, interesting enough, this is called the grapevine. Now this was from a larger copy. They used to be in the long copy, the great, first grapevine, as you probably know. And this has been, uh, charting, of course, on, on the top, on the copy machine. But this is the grapevine. Now in 19, ugh, in 19, um, this is 45, so in 46 it was, a year later, the FBI rolled the grapevine, maybe you know this, and <clears throat> said, listen, you cannot use the grapevine. That is our, we have our newsletter, that's what that's called. And um, <laughs> if you want, to, if you're going to use it, call it the AA grapevine. And we said, okay. <laughs> and that's what we did. But this is interesting. This still has a great time on here. Well, anyway, I won't read that. But that was 45. Now, 45, of course, so many interesting things happened. For example, one of the big turning points in Ave was um, the um, uh, Lost Weekend movie. I suppose everybody here has seen the Lost Weekend, right? It is. It is. It is uh, uh, the, 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 the low-down uh, drunk. Uh, coming from a good business level, and this was a very important thing about it, from a business level, became a drunk and, in, and into the uh, uh, street. And recovery, of course, took place. And it was the first time that a drunk was treated as coming from a well-educated family and himself. It proved, of course, that you don't have to be uh, in the slot in order to get recovery. And uh, I tell you, we were being pounded by movies, about five at least, all at, all at one time, rapping on our door, wanting to make a movie of us. And they kept that up for years. I always thought it would be very interesting because Paramount had a good script. 
And um, it was written by uh, Robert Smith. And I thought that would be interesting to have a copy, you know, by Robert Smith. <laughs> and <laughs> nobody else had that idea, but um, I, at least I thought I thought it was kind of be kind of fun. And <clears throat> it was. Uh, pardon me, I got to take a little water here. Uh, also, there were lots of not only movies. There was some um, uh, plays. There was a lot of going on in that decade of the 40s that could be called the experience. It's called the unity era, but it could also the disunity era because uh, nobody was keeping track. I mean, even the office didn't have a real good supervision when I first came. Everybody was doing their own thing. Somebody wanted to be somebody's secretary. Somebody wanted to be a file clerk. Somebody, they were all choosing their own what they wanted to do, and um, <laughs> that's and, and that's true. That's true. And Bill and Lois were out going around the countryside talking about the fellowship and trying to get Bill's ideas across of getting together the linkage between them all and whatnot. And um, not only and and from uh, uh, the the um, uh, general service conference idea, nobody wanted to listen to that general service conference, um, and nobody. And of course, New York was was criticized by about everybody in the country. Um, Chicago or uh, Akron thought we were making too much money. Bill was making all that money. Uh, Clarence S. called him to uh, Cleveland to uh, to uh, explain why he was making so much money from. Uh, those contributions and whatnot. Of course, Bill didn't have any money at all, and of course, it was all nonsense. So Bill had heard about this call that he might be called out to answer, like these questions. So he got the uh, uh, financial statements that supported everything that had happened for the past five years or whatever. And he took went out to Cleveland and took them with him, and they held a meeting. And uh, it was certainly noted that uh, he did not wasn't had not performed the way that 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 they said he did, and um, uh, they apologized profusely. So, but everybody was a leader. Every newsletter editor was a leader. Sure, Bill did a lot of good, but heck, you know he's a drunk <laughs> like us all, and uh, we can do more now. We're getting started, and there was I, well, I if I went in, would be here again, as I say all day. But it was a frightful period. And then in the 46 to 49, uh, uh, Marty was called to, to, to account for the fact that in her newsletter, pardon me, to the NCA members, NCA members, uh, she had uh, made, said that she was making a, um, a proposal to them of a contribution to the uh, support of the uh, uh, NCA. And she said if we, they did that, Alcoholics Anonymous would benefit from it. Well, the stuff hit the fan, and it was uh, it was a frightful period. It took four years. The finally the trustees saw they had to say something, and they got together and they made a they made a, a statement saying that of course not, nobody in that office had any any uh, uh, did anything to create that idea. And the movement, but that uh, it did. However, what it did was uh, perform, uh, perform the idea, made the idea of, of, of forming the self-support uh, tradition, which had been a little bit iffy right up to that point. So, so 49 was a turning point in many ways on that too. Um, 
the 45 decade to 55, as a matter of fact, was terribly, terribly exciting and very important. And as I say, I came in the middle of that decade. And uh, there was an effort to get going. A, the, it was seen that a need was there to have better uh, uh, leadership. To have, as I say, Bill was a leader, but he was out. He was doing his own thing so much because he wanted always to release to the movement or somebody else in the movement, so he could get on with uh, other things. He and Bob never really ever thought that they would go on forever as or perform as leaders. Time progressed during the latter part of the 40s when a committee was formed to take uh, supervision of the office affairs, and the, uh, it was agreed in uh, 1950. And 1950 was a very big turning point in so many things. Bill went abroad, so it was happening over the uh, fellowship was uh, doing, getting over there very well. Bill was excited about what uh, the members over there were taking it upon themselves to perform very much like um, uh, the what we were in the state, uh, having conferences, having um, uh, uh, intergroups were forming, uh, events were going on, sharing was being done at a much better, better uh, stage, and. Um, that was really part one of the wonderful turning points in that that uh, that year of 1950, and of course the, the general service conference was enacted, and the, the uh, bill got before Bob died got his permission to say yes. Bob agrees with me that we can we could start meet this this oversight of a general service conference, and so the trustees very reluctantly said, well, in October, October, me, well, okay, <laughs> we'll try it. And uh, so it was a charter, but it made a charter until 1955 at the event of the next uh, general, uh, general of uh, the International Conference that uh, the conference was accepted completely. So things were going on, and uh, then over, as I say, also the the, the general service office is getting over uh, had oversight also, so that. There was a feeling of a newborn feeling of progress and activity that was meaningful to the fellowship. Uh, so many other things happened too that would, that created that wonderful forward. So that whereas the 40s was a unity uh, decade, the 50s became the service decade and went on and on and become what it is today. So it was a, an extremely busy time. I came in 1950. 19, 19, um, what time is it? I came in 1947 and started doing Bill's work in 50. What? What? 15 minutes. Huh? 15 minutes. 15. Oh, well, okay. Well, <laughs> no, what I do want to get, and, and I've reached that point now, really, too. Talk about Bill and Lois for that time. Um, but I was, that was the next thing I was going to say. So <laughs> when I came in 1950, or 1947, uh, I started to do, uh, Bill's work in 1950. And in 1954, we created a general service, we, uh, a, a writing project, and we got another edition of the big book, second edition of the big book. Um, we couldn't get the other two things Bill wanted, which was a big, big history. He was so eager to do. And finally, what he was most eager to do was to write a book summing up 
what he had learned from this fellowship and what the fellowship had learned from itself. And he never got to do it. But what took the place of the history was A.A. Comes of Age. What took the place of the book he wanted so desperately to write was as Bill sees it. So at least some of that, a lot of that got done. So what I then started in 1954 to go up to Bedford Hills because Bill liked to work up there. And um, I didn't mind. It was it was a nice going up there. It's a beautiful place. And it was Bill and Lois. I would go up on um, Friday afternoon. Bill would pick me up or Lois would, usually Bill. And uh, then I would go back uh, waiting for dinner. And uh, Bill would be doing the violin, and as Lois was making the good uh, meat and potatoes in the kitchen, and I would be playing the piano uh, for Bill and his uh, and his. So, and if I were there, and when I played, he would all that we played a lot of the old hymns, the old the old uh, uh, things, and also we would play "Sing Nellie Home" when I was there. <laughs> <laughs> we had so much fun. We had so much fun, and. That went on for as long as Bill, until 51 when Bill died. Then I, then I stayed with Lois. I, I mean to say, I went up about every, every other weekend, sometimes every weekend, sometimes things happened, people passed away. It was, there weren't, there were some sad things too. Um, and for 17 more years until she died in 88. And that was very hard. What about Bill? Well, Bill was, let me just give you some characteristics. Eclectic, he could put everything together. He was an engineer, as you know, and had an engineer degree. And he could have, it was very much the way he acted, performed, uh, helped, was in kind of this kind of engineering idea way. Um, he um, could take from one area some some quality. He could take it from another one, from another one, from another one, from another one. He could bring them all together and break, make something brand new. Now, this wasn't true that everybody could do this kind of thing, but he could. It's another one of the miracles of AA. And the uh, same way that he then he did the 12 steps, he did the, uh, uh, Bill always said, like a three, AA was a three-cornered stool uh, uh, from medicine, from religion, and from the experience of AA themselves. And say from the Oxford group, he could take from Father, uh, 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 Father, uh, what's his name? Uh, <laughs> Saint Francis. <laughs> Sorry, Saint Francis. Um, <laughs> don't mean to. <laughs> I'm a Buddhist, so that's a difference. <laughs> Eclectic, putting it all together, he could do that beautifully, just beautifully. He did everything that way. He was visionary, as we all know, pragmatic. Very much like St. James. Uh, uh, St. <laughs> Here we go, St. again. Uh, William James. <laughs> uh, James, I, I've always been so stunned by the fact that William James, that the writer, the New Englander, they're all, we're talking about New England people now, uh, always had a top idea as well as a bottom idea. And it, this is life anyway. Touch, you know, something's good, something's uh, in a different area. And Bill could put this thing together. He was very pragmatic in this way. Yes, this would be very helpful under certain circumstances, but this would also be. This was pragmatic, and that was spiritual and whatnot. And so if you read um, uh, James's um, the variety of personal exper- um, spiritual experiences, uh, you'll understand what you, you've probably read a lot of those. You'll know what I mean. Articulate. He was very articulate. He, he was very educated. Bill was a well-read person. Humor, great storyteller. I wish I had time to tell, give you all the humor. I have a big, 
humor thing here. <laughs> um, but Bill um, uh, had a kind of a New England humor. Uh, now we used to share in our in our a big room, and um, my my desk would be one side, Bill's would be the other side. So I saw a lot of people coming in. I saw the passing parade, and um, this and uh, uh, how Bill, how they treated Bill, what they felt about him. And uh, what he could offer at that particular point for anything, but it was a lot of humor. And a lot of these guys coming in would try to tell him the the current joke that was going around. Bill would look, you know, and that I didn't didn't appreciate it at all. I used to say, oh gosh, maybe I better go over and interrupt this <laughs> and, and get him out of get him out of trouble. But when it came to the real essence of what humor is, the, the reaching the inside, experiencing the inside. Uh, in a different kind of way than just say, uh, in any other, other than say, uh, humorous, a humorous living. And many times he'd t- be telling Lois and me stories up at Stepping Stones. We'd just fall off our chairs. It was so, it was so funny. So he, he was just wonderful in that. He was a very, as I say, intellectual, philosophical, musical. He loved the silence. He, when the parties were due from the Al-Anon and, uh, Others uh, out on the lawns of Stepping Stones. Bill would go with his violin and be like a roaming cowboy or something uh, going all the way around. But, of course, he was depressive from 45 particularly until 55. And that really is remarkable that he could keep himself together in so many ways when he was really crying with depression. Many times he'd come in and try to dictate to me, sitting there with his head in his arms and just cry. Just couldn't... Um, it was it was overpowering, overpowering. But what he accomplished in that decade, amazing. You psychic? Oh, if I I could tell you so many psychic stories. <laughs> really, uh, one. Let me tell you just one. Uh, Willard Richardson, as I say, liked to attend the spook sessions, and um, uh, he was there when Bill was, and and Bingham, I think, was taking notes of it and whatnot. A D G da da da. What? It was about. Three or four lines that way. But Willard Richardson took a look at it. He divided it up into Latin, Latin lines, words. And he said, you know, do you know what this is? Bill said, no, of course not. He said, this is a, from a talk of St. Boniface. Now, Bill didn't know who St. Boniface was. <laughs> or if he did, he hadn't known of, heard of him particularly. But... There are thousands of stories just like this about Bill. And I think Dr. Bob was interested in, in, in psychic things, too. It was uh, so that he was very dogged and determined when he had knew something had to be done and uh, wouldn't listen to, uh, he could, uh, he, he well, dogged is the word I think of most. <laughs> Obstinate. When, when he was, got to be sure of his, until he got to be sure of his, so otherwise he's very easygoing, he's very conservative politics different from me. I'm, I'm a liberal Democrat. He is a stricter, tough Republican. We didn't agree too much. <laughs> Lois would go up to bed at night when, when Adley Stevenson would come on the, t- on the radio, on the TV, and Bill would, when Adley got going, Bill would look over to me and, and he was me. You know, that's what he was saying. <laughs> <laughs> but he was very gold-minded. He knew exactly what he wanted to say. Those were the mind of the heart. He was very charismatic, compassionate, 
understanding and caring to an enormous degree. Sharing and giving. Now, humility. Here is a man. Everybody talks about his ego. And said, oh, Bill's ego is Listen, where would we all be today if we all didn't have ego? Right? That's the base of our actions. Good ones as well as bad ones. But Bill had inner humility. Now, I've seen this going on for many, 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 many years. He had the, he was the most, and I mean this, the most humble person I have ever known. I mean, I have seen him reaction to his, so many different uh, opportunities to events. Nothing like that man. So sure, he had an ego. As a matter of fact, when I talk about it, the good things and other uh, talks, somebody all stood up and said, hey, doesn't Bill have any uh, uh, character defects at all? And I said, yeah, well, somebody said he wore his halo a little bit crooked. I guess I just said that. Um, <laughs> but uh, Bill loved home, state, a great rock on tourists, I'd say. Very patriotic, economically patriotic. Helps so many with depression. I have seen people come in and say, hug Bill, say, Bill, thank you for saving my life twice. That happened enormous amount of times. So I say, I saw so much of this from our, our common room that we had. And so he helped an awful lot. Now, what people don't realize that he had the opportunity to talk and share with visitors up at Stepping Stones. And a lot of people don't realize how many people came up over the weekend. We had visitors after visitors. Lois was busy and, and uh, our, our, her maid was there. All. And Bill was talking and helping and sharing. And it was um, uh, uh, It was really so impressive. And you think that he didn't do anything just being at home. He did a hell of a lot, I can assure you. And um, he, of course, he uh, didn't much uh, favor new business inventions. We used the same, I was using, he was too, that's why I was using the same um, um, uh, dictating machine from 20 years back. <laughs> he didn't want a new one. And I thought, oh, well, what the hell, I don't, I won't take a new one either then. It, you know, he doesn't. That I no sense in getting an up to date, well workable thing when I can't use it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, like computer type stuff or whatever. When he's using this little little pinky, Lois, uh, we got in the archives had this used this pinky little typewriter. That was hers, and <laughs> um, I I did a mean bad thing. I never told her that I had it. In the, well, she didn't ask. Never asked. And I kept it. In the, <laughs> I kept it in the archives, <laughs> as I did um, Dr. Emily, uh, Bill's mother. I think she had a type. We had a type. Anyway, uh, to go on and on and on, and I haven't gotten to Lois. Now I don't know, but we better stop here. Well, fast. We'll go through it fast. We had uh, we had many, so many gorgeous trips together. It takes a long time to tell you about how many. What we did. Oh, we had, it was such fun. Um, the very last one, we were going up the Amazon together to see um, the Haley's Comet, you know, back in 87. And um, she must, she had seen the first one back in the early 1800s or middle 1800s, and uh, she would have been the only person possibly alive. Um, newspapers were waiting to make a big deal of it, to make a big uh, story, if we had gone up to see the comet. Of course, it turned out the comet was... Uh, not too good anyway. I couldn't see it very well, and Lois was getting worse and worse and worse. She couldn't make the trip, and I wa she wanted me to go. 
And I, I said, no, I didn't want to go without her. And uh, now I wish I had. I could have gone and come back and, and shared with her what the experience. But didn't happen. But she was very home-oriented. She was very uh, aristocratic. When Lois would be on, on dinners, um, on luncheons or whatever, and of course I'm very forward myself, and uh, the dining room table was right near the kitchen, and Harriet the cook was up there, and one time I wanted some sweet and low. So I said, Harriet, bring up some sweet and low. Lois said, no, I will make that. I will tell her. <laughs> I said, okay, Lois, I'm sorry. <laughs> and that happened two or three times. And I just loved it for it, to tell you the truth. It was wonderful. She was observed, observant. Um, she observed, and I have learned so many things from her. And I have learned to observe. I have learned to go around our beautiful area, up, uh, or up at Stepping Stones, besides. We took two seasonal trips around the whole territory, the fall and the spring. Saw the early birds coming in, and, uh, oh gosh, uh, and the fall, the, the leaves coming on and whatnot. It was so beautiful. She was a great photographer. She took and tested. She knew exactly where to get the angle, and to get everything in the background in it, terrific. Great, and a great story. She sold everything in that house. All the, um, the curtains, the, uh, couch covers, um, anything else that needed. Lois did all the sewing. And this tiny little, you should go up to bed for, maybe you have, you've seen this pinky, winky, little, tight, a little sewer, sewing machine. It's unbelievable. It's still up there. And still on the, the, anybody. <laughs> Like Bill and the old machine, and she was very spiritual, a nature lover, trees, uh, magazines, she read lots and lots of magazines, uh, musical pianist, she's a good pianist, very good, very good. She and Bill have made them wonderful. Uh, radio, classical stations, we all like that, we all listen to WQSR, and uh, she loved children, I mean, they all came when they were a little small to visit her, and uh, from around the neighborhood, when it started growing up, because Bill and Lois are about the only people in the neighborhood, uh, for years and years, and then it started to grow, and the little kids came over and saw her, and say at um, Halloween, Lois would have everything put out on the table, and these little kids and their funny little you know, and parents and whatnot, as the kids grew older, they still continued to come over to see her. The boys grew up too, and they wanted, with their Harley Davidsons or whatever they were, wanted to make a path around the whole territory and with their machines. And Lois said yes, and God, we listened to all this noise. It was awful. <laughs> uh, that those machines made uh, for years. But she loved it. We were great puzzle players. We loved puzzles. Uh, uh, we, lo- we, we were great on Scrabble. We had our own Scrabble uh, laws. Rules, uh, uh, how many we used. I mean, we did it all. We redid the thing ourselves. And, uh, we, we, oh, we love, we love Scrabble. She's a great cook, uh, especially the meat and potatoes variety. Faithful friendship. Uh, she's very well read, just like Bill. Lois loved to read to Bill. He loved to have a read in the morning. Uh, this was kind of like the quiet time for the old Oxford group days. Uh, they'd wake up, um, Lois would uh, read some stories or whatever it was. Bill would come down then and make the uh, coffee. I used to smell the coffee. Mm, weekends. And uh, then they would uh, have their breakfast. Lois would read to him. 
And then they would have their quiet time, their meditation. And it was just, it was just beautiful. She was terribly thoughtful of others. Bill was too. Great organizer. I used to tell her that she could, ought to have been head of uh, uh, IBM. Oh, she was fantastic. There she could be the chair of IBM. <laughs> uh, very stoic, non-complaining. Uh, I even hated to tell her about anything that bothered me because um, I know how stoic she was about her own self, and she didn't want to be going into what uh, she was feeling. And, of course, in the latter years, the last five years even, was a painful process for her. But, um, boy, she didn't let you know it. That was something that her courage... She prepared for her end, for her latter days, in the most organized way. But it was built a new house on the property, um, uh, uh, had had everything smoothed around on the on the property itself, so there wouldn't be a lot of things to have to cut these trees down or anything like that. Lois brought down every pine tree and white birch. There is on that. There's a lot on that property. She brought them down herself from Vermont, and they grew up to be great big, big blossoming things. They're just really just beautiful. But she had this courage to look ahead and prepare for the end. And she did that and uh, uh, had the, had two very good aides with her that helped an awful lot and uh, got together a nice couple uh, who are still there uh, to take over the management, so to speak, of what is needed on the property way and in a very practical kind of way. Uh, she was fantastic at this. And um, and so she prepared well for her later days, and um, it was a. It's been hard for all of us to see them both go, but I, they're together now, and that's the important thing. I think that's probably better. All I better do right now, <laughs> a lot more, but we won't get into the humor part. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I, uh, here is my humor. <laughs> and I wanted to get more into uh, Bill's ability to, and, and I, these are the pages I made from, I was making for the book, and I, I guess I made them for the book, just about five pages, that tells where he got ideas from and what, what was helpful in uh, preparing uh, uh, the uh, uh, book, books and um, the latter part of the fellowship ideas itself. Okay. You can all go. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.